one historian put it. He said, at a point in time, council meetings gave opportunity for the members to comment on or criticize the manner in which the leaders had been handling the discipline of the congregation and to criticize the state of the congregation in general. This was often a lengthy and tedious procedure. I'll have to admit I can identify with that a bit, but I will hasten to add that in the last 20 years, I can't identify with that. And I praise the Lord for that. My take on that is simply this. It's tough to self-examine. That's difficult. Laverne mentioned the verse in our Sunday school lesson that the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now, I hope we're not desperately wicked here. But it does bring out a very good thought that our hearts tend to deceive us. And so for us to self-examine can be quite a procedure. Am I, can I, do I even have the potential to be truly honest with myself and, and say, you know, do I here is an area that you've got to grow, you've got to change, you've got you to work on? Or do I want to just bypass that and make an excuse for that and say, well, that's okay. My thought is the reason it perhaps morphed into that, unfortunately, in some um, churches is because it's so much easier for me to look at Pete and say, Pete, you have this problem, work on that. Or Dennis, you have this problem, work on that. Than it is for me to look at myself and say, I have this problem that I need to work on before I can commune with the body of Christ. That's just my... I don't have anything other than my own thinking to go on on that, but I think perhaps that's the reason it, it did morph into that. So what do we mean when we stand this morning and we confess that we have peace with God and man? How can we know that? What are we indicating when we say that? A few things I think we are indicating. I think we are indicating that peace with God is a choice. That is a choice that we make. The choice is in our hands, and it is available to each one of us. If we aren't at peace with God, it's not God's fault. Remember that. We're also saying that peace with my brothers is largely in my lap. Largely. Now, there are times that to be peaceful with a brother can take a lot of grace. But it's largely in my lap. Maybe I should say it's completely in my lap. Another thing we are saying is we, when we approach the communion as a body of believers and as a body unified, we are unified in our quest for holiness and solidarity, and we take this seriously. We believe in a body of believers that are after holiness. We are also indicating that we are in a lifetime spiritual quest for this holiness. It's a conflict. It's, it's worthwhile for us every six months to look at it again. We're also indicating that it is very possible, very possible, for us to wander from our resolve to serve God and our brothers and to find our trajectory changing in a way that's maybe not right. In a time like this, it gives us time to reflect and to analyze, where's my journey? Where am I going? Have I lost my focus? Am I still on the right track? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. 
I'm not going to read this, but I do want to refer to it. This is, this is often the passage we will go to whenever we um, look or we are after our platform, our basis for council meeting. And Paul here tells them that your problem is that when you come together in church, in verse 18 he says, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. And then he talks about how, you know, what's causing these divisions and so on and so forth. And he said, to have a body divided and to claim unity in Christ, it can't be. That the two don't come together. So he said, before you even come to this Lord's Supper... And we go directly to verse 28. He says, let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. He says in verse 30, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. Just not a very good picture of, uh, of communion time here in this, in this particular passage. There's a very familiar verse in Proverbs. It says this, ponder the path of your feet and let all thy ways be established. Consider, consider the ways of your feet. Look, look back, look ahead, consider where you are today. Do you like that trajectory? Are you satisfied with that road that you're on? It's interesting to me that there's only one person in the Bible that said that she pondered. Who was it? Mary. Mary. Mary pondered. That's the only person that it says specifically that she pondered. There's three other verses in Proverbs that talk about pondering. Proverbs 5, Proverbs 21, and Proverbs 24. And in each time, I'll read one of them. For the ways of the man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he, God, pondereth his goings. The other two are almost identical. It talks about the man... It talks about the Lord looking on and the Lord pondering. The man's not pondering, the Lord's pondering. And God calls us through Solomon here for us to ponder the path of our feet. So let's be honest, we're probably not the greatest at this. We probably wrestle with this thing of pondering the path of our feet. So it behooves us to just stop occasionally and try to do that. And that's why we're here Hopefully you took a little time to ponder before you got here this morning, but that's, that's kind of in essence what we're here for. So what does it take to have peace with God and peace with man? I'm going to try to briefly bring you a few things that the Lord spoke to me about, and maybe you can identify with it. To have peace with God, I must be on a pursuit of humility. James 4, 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. Now that word resisteth is a military term. God is set in array against the proud. And the word proud, we could say stuck up folks. Haughty people. If that's you, if that's me this morning, God's against us. God's against me. But he giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of God, and he shall lift you up. 1 Peter 5, 6, same thing. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. 
Matthew 18, the words of Jesus, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The prophet Micah, when he lists the three things that we must do to serve God, walking humbly with God is one of those things. Humility is an elusive thing. Tell me, how do you measure humility? How do you measure a subjective experience with objective criteria? How does that happen? It's difficult, isn't it? Does my speech, demeanor, actions, possessions, aspirations, and goals reflect, thank you, a humble walk with God? It's interesting that the word humility and the word humus have the same root word. Now, if you're groveling in the humus, you're a humble person. Another thing you'll find that when you're in the humus, down in the dirt, it's not very often that someone's going to roll you over. You're already pretty much as low as you can go. Seldom wound them. You heard of wounded pride already? Have you ever heard of wounded humility? Does that happen? So the question is, am I a humble person? Isaiah 57 says this, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. Now listen, I dwell in the high and holy place. That's one of my dwelling places. The other one is with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit. What that says is, if you're not a humble person, if I'm not a humble person, God is not dwelling with me. God cannot dwell in a proud heart. How can I have peace with God? Am I putting forth an honest effort to battle sin? Now, I, I'm speaking to a group of people here this morning. I'm addressing the group of people here this morning that have already committed themselves to Jesus. That have had the initial experience of having that burden of guilt taken away. We're on our journey. That's the folks I'm addressing this morning. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study. Give all diligence, in other words, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed. But I want you to pay attention to some, th some phrases here. One of them is, Show thyself approved. All right, so we go down to verse 19. It says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, Having the seal, the Lord knoweth him that are, them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. All right? Show yourself approved. Depart from iniquity. We drop down to verse 21 yet. If a man therefore purge himself. All right? Purge himself. He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use. That word meet means easily used. If you're a person that has departed from iniquity, has, is, is showing yourself approved, you're a very versatile person. You're easily used. I, on the farm, I love versatile pieces of equipment. Equipment that I can use over here for this application, over here for another application, I get twice the bang for my buck. I have a corn picker. I can do one thing with that thing, and that is pick corn. But I have a manure spreader. I can bed my shed with that manure spreader. I can also haul the things that cattle make with that manure spreader. All right? It's very versatile. I get twice the bang for my money. Iniquity robs peace 
and usefulness. 2 Corinthians 7 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. James 4, draw nigh to God and he will draw, draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. All right. So what I'm trying to stress here is that the burden in these verses is largely on us. Wash your hands. Cleanse yourselves. Do that job. Why? Because we live in a polluted world. We take showers pretty regularly, right? Why? Because we live in a physically polluted world. We also live in a very spiritually polluted world. And Peter says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter is worse than the beginning. Folks, we have to periodically evaluate if the world's pollution is on us. There was a Hungarian refugee by the name of Andre Thomas that was taken at Russian prisoner back in 1945 when he was 20 years old. He sat in a Russian jail cell for 50 long years, 55 actually. In the year 2000 when there was some things where um, some of the pain was alleviating itself in the Soviet Union or the former Soviet Union, this Hungarian refugee was released. Everybody thought he was out of his mind because they couldn't understand what he said. It seemed like he was speaking gibberish, and he seemed to be just a little strange. Well, I'm guessing 55 years in solitary would probably do that to you. Well, they had him evaluated by psychiatrists, and they figured out that he was just speaking an ancient Hungarian language that nobody was really familiar with anymore, kind of a dialect. The man was completely competent, nothing wrong with him. But 55 years, imagine 20 years old, I'm into the solitary confinement. At 75, I finally get my freedom. One of the first things, or the first thing this man asked for, and I'd be curious to know what you would ask for, but he asked for a mirror. So they gave him a mirror, and he looked in the mirror, and he cried. Can you imagine the shock? He didn't even recognize himself. I say that to say this. We have a mirror here this morning, right here. How often are we looking in that mirror? How often are we using that mirror to cleanse ourselves from the pollution of the world? John 15:3 to quote Jesus, he, he says, Now you are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. Let's use the water that is provided, the washing of water by the word, and let's make an honest effort to battle sin that, is, that so easily besets us. Okay, another thing to have peace with God, we must have obedient, willing, joyful service. Hebrews 12 says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve, whereby we may be a hired hand. Serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. James 4, 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. We can only find peace with God when we obediently serve him in the capacity that he has called us to. We're looking at good old Jonah, some of our prayer meeting times here lately. He didn't have much peace when he didn't serve God, did he? 
Um, Moses didn't either. He whined and complained he didn't want to do it, but he had no peace to serve God. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, on the other hand, they weren't satisfied with the service that God had asked them. They wanted a bigger role. When Paul was on the road to Damascus, the Lord struck him down. And he said, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And immediately Paul said, Lord, what would you have me to do? How can I serve you better? It seems like we as humans can sometimes find it hard to just be content to serve the Lord with gladness where he has called us. Let's do that. That's how we have peace with God, to be content with his calling on our lives. All right, let's look at peace with our brother for a few minutes. How can I have peace with my brother? I'm going to start out with the obvious. We have to have an unpretentious, genuine, honest love for our brother. It's instructive to notice in John 13 that Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. You know, folks, the new covenant will crumble without love for the brotherhood. It absolutely will. And that's why Jesus said, this is something new. Listen up. As I have loved you, I tell I want you to love your brother. How did Jesus love? Unconditionally and absolutely unexclusively. Hebrews 13, the Hebrew writer says, let brotherly love continue. 1 Peter 1.22, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto an unfeigned love to the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. To read this in the RSV, which maybe makes it a little clearer, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brethren, love one another earnestly, seriously, from the heart, not superficial. In other words, folks, pure souls will love brothers. And a lack of love indicates a polluted soul. In other words, as we do this examination, and we find that we are struggling with a lack of love for our brother, it's a symptom. It's a symptom of a, of a heart problem. It really is. When the Swiss Brethren revised the 1632 Dorfrich Confession of Faith and made their own uh, 19 articles of faith. On the article in the church, they have this to say, the characteristics of the true church are the, are the fruits of conversion. And I'm not going to read all the things they list as the fruits of conversion, but one of the things they list is a fiery brotherly love among one another. That is to them and is for us today one of the fruits of conversion. So the question must be asked, is there anything lurking in my heart today that does not qualify as love for my brother? All right. Number two, how can I have peace with my brother? I must, sub I must submit myself to my brother and esteem him higher than myself. Romans 12, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. First Peter, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you, be subject one to another, and be clothed 
with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Philippians 2, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Can I do that? Can I take my abilities, my projects, my ideas, dreams, aspirations, accomplishments, and say there's a really good chance that my brother's is better than any of mine? Am I willing to go there? Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. The RSV puts it this way, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. I will have to say that in honesty, this is probably one of the hardest things we are called to do. Because after all, if my idea wasn't the best, it would, I, I would know that, right? I wouldn't even present it, right? I always have the best idea, always. I really believe, and this is a topic all in and of itself, but the more I look at it, the more I'm convinced that the evolution of American society and the emphasis on individualism and self-esteem has probably permeated our hearts more than we really want to admit. I really think that. There was an old term that uh, the German-speaking, I'm sure, Pete would know more about this than me, but there's this term at Galassenheit. Yieldedness to God and to each other. Just a yielded spirit. Is that you and I this morning? And lastly, how can I know if I have peace with my brother? Am I devoted to building brotherhood? Is that my goal? To build this brotherhood up? James 4.11 says, Speak not evil one of another, brothers. Peter admonishes, Wherefore, lay aside all malice, gal, hypocrisies, envies, evil speakings. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. In other words, verse 3 could be worded like this. For you have tasted the goodness of the Lord. In other words, don't talk bad about your brother because you've tasted the, uh, the goodness of the Lord. The two don't go together. Ill will will stunt your growth, my growth, and it will disregard the fact that I have received this kindness from the Lord. Ephesians puts it this way, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Wow. Usually you think of grace as something that God gives to us. Here it's saying, Grace is actually something I can minister to you and you can minister to me. And I like the verse in Jude. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Building up yourselves. Are you part of that building experience? I know we at Prairie Mennonite face some unique challenges when it comes to brotherhood. If nothing else, we are probably one of the most geographically dispersed peoples that I know of that come together in a building like this every Sunday and worship together. That can be a challenge. Um, When you have 60, 70 miles separating one another, that's a challenge to really have that connectedness. But, you know, we can still encourage. We can still participate 
You know, it's a blessing to get together in Sunday school and participate together and, and bat things around and, and hear my brother and say, yeah, that's, that's a good thought. That, that, was a, that was good for me to be here and, and, and hear that. Uh, I can still show interest in your life. And, you know, I can still help you, even though you're 70 miles away. It just takes more building. Well, let's conclude this. Second Corinthians, it seems like Paul just, just had to tell these Corinthians in his first epistle and in his second to examine themselves. In 2 Corinthians, he comes back to it in one of the last chapters, and he says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove yourselves. Know ye not your own selves, how that, the, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? In other words, you could say this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are holding on to the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you indeed fail to meet the test? So in other words, folks, this is what we call self-examination. Um, some of our scholars know what self-checks are. So in other words, you do the test, then you take the answer key, and you do a self-check. All right. Now anybody knows that if you want to cheat on the self-check, you can. You can do that. You can just... There's nobody there looking over your shoulder. You can cheat if you want. The same thing applies here this morning. This is a self-check. God has entrusted us to do this without cheating. And it's up to you and I whether we are going to do that, whether we are going to take the test and be determined we're not going to cheat on the test. You know, examinations can be discouraging. I hate going to the doctor. He never has good news for me anyway. Blood pressure's too high, overweight, all this good stuff. I hate examinations. But it doesn't have to be that way. I can take it as a time of resolve. I'm going to lower that blood pressure. I'm going to lose weight. This is going to be all right. And I'd like to encourage us in that direction this morning. Let, let this time be a time of introspection, but a time of resolve, not discouragement. After all, Jesus said, it's the person that endures to the end that shall be saved. God bless you.